familia. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us online or one of our campuses or here at the Northwest Campus. For those of you who don't know, I hang out and serve with the amazing team that is at Midtown and Broad Ripple. We are six months old as of this last week, so we're excited for what God is doing in Midtown and all of our campuses. I'm also excited that uh, next week, Pastor Aaron's going to be back to kick us off in this new series called Among Lions. Here's why I'm excited. We're going to be diving into the book of Daniel for two whole months, eight weeks. If you are new to Trader's Point, if you've been hanging around here for just a few weeks, then I want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you to be here every week for the next eight weeks. And I promise you, if you come expectant for what God is going to do, uh, your life is going to be transformed by His Word, by His Spirit, and by what He's doing here at Trader's Point. Now, my task uh, today is to finish a series called What the World Needs Now. Have we had great teachings or what? Help me celebrate every single one. Every single one of our teachers and pastors, uh, people that I love, have brought just some great messages. And my task is to finish today uh, with the last uh, fruit of the Spirit that's in this list in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23. And this is where we are going to start today. So please, uh, if you have your Bibles, go uh, there. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It'll be on the screen. And this is what it says. The fruit of the Spirit... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and everybody say this two words together, self-control. There is no law against these things. As we dive into the idea of self-control, we're going to be in the subject, I am in recovery. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity this morning to dive into your word. Speak to us. Speak through your word. May nobody leave here unchanged. Do a work in our lives for the glory of your name, Jesus, Son of God. Amen. At one point or another, we have all experienced losing control over something or someone. I wonder if you resonate with this or not. It's happened to me many times in my life. One of my dreams is to become a pilot one day. It's still a dream because I've not been able to achieve it. But my wonderful wife, one time for Christmas, got me a gift certificate for a one hour of flight instruction. And I was so giddy to go to the airport. I finally showed up, and I imagined that we were going to be flying an F-16. It was a Cessna, really. <laughs> it's when I went into this, uh, into this aircraft, uh, I heard the pilot mumbling a few things that I was supposed to pay attention to, uh, but I didn't. I was too excited. Uh, apparently, they have a list of uh, tasks that need to happen so that the flight is safe. I paid attention to none of it. We got on the plane, and by the way, flying a Cessna kind of feels like flying on a love seat or a small couch. It's so small, but I was still so excited. Uh, we uh, get on the plane, and we take off. This happened in uh, South Florida, so we began to fly over the ocean. And at some point, I did understand the pilot when he said, Alex, it's your turn to fly the plane. Oh, my gosh. I was so excited. I put my hands on what I thought was called the handle. Turns out it's called the yoke. Everybody say yoke. 
And I put my hands on the handle, and remembering everything I had learned about flying planes, which I have learned a lot flying, about flying planes from movies, I yanked that yoke to the left, and all of a sudden, it all turned blue. We were heading down for the ocean. You would have thought that at that point, I would have, I would have been thinking of my family, my memories, my wishes, my regrets. All I could think about at that moment was my internal organs. Because when you're dipping a plane, something gets loosened up inside of you. <laughs> something that rhymes with the word vowels. <laughs> so I was afraid that I was going to lose all my vowels over uh, that cockpit. A, E, I, all of them. And at some point, the pilot put his hands over the yoke, and then he pulled back in a maneuver that only he knew, it's called recovering from, uh, recovering from a stall, brought the plane back up, and then he said, Alex, you listen to none of my instructions. You're supposed to handle this delicately, but here's what happened. You lost control. At one point in our lives or another, we may have felt that way, maybe about a thing, maybe about something that you were driving or flying or riding, but maybe about your own life, your relationships, your plans. And this is what Paul is showing us here in Galatians 5, is that what the world needs now as we receive Jesus in our lives and we let him bloom through the fruit that is, uh, that is uh, put from the Spirit of God in our lives, that this one fruit that the world doesn't really have, we are able to showcase for the glory of his name, which is self-control. See, uh, what happened uh, to the church in Galatia is that there were believers who were fighting. Uh, this church has never experienced that, but some churches actually experience Christians fighting with one another. The reason they were fighting is because there were those who came from a Jewish background who were asking uh, uh, believers in Galatia to, um, if they were from a Gentile background, to fulfill all these commands and all these laws, and they were being really mean about it. And so they send a letter to Paul, and Paul responds with this, and he says, yes, the law is good. Yes, obeying everything you see in the Old Testament, absolutely, in context, under Jesus is good. But there's something even greater, which is the same argument he's making in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love. And this love that comes from Jesus comes out of our lives by way of these fruits. And so he finishes this list with these words, self-control. So I have to be honest with you. I am not a good example of self-control. I am not here to tell you, follow my example on this. And so I went into uh, the, the original language to see if the original language uh, blessed me or actually treated me differently. Um, and I looked at commentaries and I read from scholars and I realized that in, in Greek, the word self-control means... Self-control. It doesn't do me any favors. In fact, the original language uh, is the same word that is used for power, dominion, or even uh, authority over a people. So when believers in Galatia and all over the Roman Empire, when they heard these words, they would have thought of the idea of taking control and dominion over oneself in the same way that a governor or at their time an emperor, in our time a president, would take control over a nation or a people. And this doesn't do me any favors because I'm really, really bad at this. And so what I want to do uh, this morning is I want us to um, travel in time just a little bit further back, 
Paul would have written uh, the book of Galatians around the year 50 or 60. Uh, but we're going to travel even uh, further back, just a few decades, to a moment when Jesus actually shows the utmost self-control. He is the greater example that we need to follow. He is the one that we need to put our eyes on. So we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 1 uh, through 11. And this is where we find Jesus in the wilderness. A lot of you remember this moment and this story in Jesus' life. Uh, right after he gets baptized, he's about to begin his ministry. And he goes to the desert and he spends 40 days and 40 nights fasting and seeking the Lord. And at the end of this season, the devil knows that Jesus is weak, that he is hungry, and he brings these three offers to him. He says, Jesus, if you're hungry, turn these rocks into bread. Uh, if you want, we'll go to the top of the skyscraper, and then you will, you will fall down. But if you are God, you're going to be able to fly. Or, or here's what we can do. We'll go to the top of the mountain. I'm going to show you everything that is around you. And you can own everything if only you turn to me and worship me. Uh, we can connect these three alluring offers. Perhaps nobody has offered you that much. But similar offers have been made to you. Because in this way, the devil is offering Jesus a faster provision. He's saying to Jesus, if, if you break your plans, in fact, if you break God's plans, you can have what you want now. He's also offering him larger identity or at least the perception, the false perception of larger identity. Uh, if you are able to get on top of this temple and you fly, then that will confirm that you're the son of God. Not by the way that God wants to confirm it, but by the way that I want to see it. Give me a sign. Or by going to the top of the mountain and showing him the whole world around him, he's offering him broad power. He's saying, you can own all of this. Now, Satan doesn't. But he's, he's sculpting, he's offering all of this as a way of luring Jesus into a battle over leadership. See, here's what I think happens with self-control and, and, and the way that we see it in the life of Jesus right now and in the way that we see it in our own lives is that at the end of the day, self-control is an exchange over leadership. In other words, when we are facing a moment when we're about to lose control, we are making a decision that we're handing over leadership of our lives to something or someone else. And if you hear nothing else today, write this down. You may be thinking that you're perfect, so you can write this down and then go home. For the rest of us who are imperfect, let's keep going. We're going to lean in further into this because what does it mean to exchange leadership? And how do we exchange leadership onto something or someone that is not good for us or that doesn't honor God in our lives? A few weeks ago, I heard my children playing in the living room. There were giggles, there were screaming, and they showed up dressed as astronauts. And that's also been one of my dreams, and I felt a little offended they didn't ask me to play with them, but I still went. They had put together two uh, chairs from our dining room. They tied them up with uh, tape, and somehow they created this spacecraft. And um, it, this may be news to you. I, I just I couldn't fit in uh, these chairs. I just couldn't fit. I'm too big. But between them, I couldn't do it. So I decided I was going to be the engine. 
So I got behind them, and I put my feet uh, right at the, uh, 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 under these chairs, and I brought them back, and I started to shake them. And then I would turn them to the left, and I would turn them to the right, and I would, I would point at uh, stuffed animals that we have, uh, or, or, or dolls and toys that we have in our house, and I would say, uh, those are aliens. Shoot them, shoot them, shoot because that's what you do when you're in a spaceship. you got to shoot some aliens. <laughs> Notice at that point that because they trusted me, they gave up control. And this is what we do with our lives when we are losing our control over our lives is that we are giving that up to something or someone that we trust more than Jesus. In fact, uh, one of the ways in which we can lean even more into uh, this concept is by understanding that there's an exchange, when there's an exchange of leadership, there's an exchange of priorities. We exchange our personal priorities for the plans and the provision and the purpose and the power of God. We're saying uh, uh, whatever I am uh, experiencing in my life, whatever plans exist, we're going to exchange those because there's something inside of me that makes me want to attain that right away. And here's what happens when there's an exchange in leadership. We miss out on the plan of God for our lives. It may be more difficult. It may take longer, but we miss out on the plan that God has for us because we decide to say yes to one of these alluring offers. And this has happened to me before. In the summer of the year 2000, I was a college student at a large university in South America. And uh, this uh, university was in my hometown, about 7 or 8 million people, uh, within 14 miles of a valley. Even though it's not that long of a distance, it takes forever to get places. So my commute was about 90 minutes each way, counting bus, uh, bus lines and subway lines and walking and so I would go to school early in the morning, and I would go through all my schooling, stay at school all day, and then by 4 or 5 in the afternoon, begin to make my way back to my house and begin another 90 minutes of commute. And so as some of you are thinking, uh, I would never do that. Well, I had to do it. And at the end of every day, I couldn't get to the subway station faster. In fact, I would dream of getting there faster so I could sleep on the train. On this particular day, uh, my uh, pastor texted me on uh, my flip phone. Some of you all remember flip phones? Flip phones, amen? Yeah, yeah, we're that old. Um, remember, he texted me on my flip phone, and he said, um, I need you to come out here, and I need you to translate for us. There is a group from the United States. Uh, these are American students, and they want to share Jesus with students in the university. And I thought, wow, they're great Christians. <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I struggled, I struggled within me for, a whole, for the whole walk from my school to the subway station. And at some point I felt this guilt because I had been saying as a relatively new believer, I want to know how to share Jesus with people. I want, to, I want opportunities to do this. And I was looking for large opportunities. But then at this point I thought, uh, there's got to be something to this. Maybe, maybe I should go back. And so as exhausted as I was, I turned around and met this group, and we did share the gospel on that day. We met some amazing people, but there was a surprise that I wasn't expecting. In fact, I wasn't even seeking it at that point. Because on this day, in this group, I met my wife. And my life changed forever. Three children later, several ministries, and me still looking this young, I still think... <laughs> What could have happened if I had just exchanged those priorities? 
If I had said, yeah, I know, I know you have a plan, God, but right now I'm sleepy. <laughs> right now I don't want to go translate for anybody because my brain is tired. And when we do that, we may be missing out on the plan of God for our lives. And so I'm so grateful for the fact that we can, that we can come back to God's plans by saying yes to his. So with that in mind, let's dive into Matthew 4. And we're going to be reading uh, right now in verses 1 through 3. And it says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everybody say hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if uh, you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Uh, at this point, Jesus is given this uh, offer uh, that is potentially pushing him to lose control over instant gratification. And we live in a culture that can relate to this so much because we are all about fast. Uh, finding our mate has to be fast. Getting that promotion has to be fast. Uh, being well-known has to be fast. Being an expert in anything has to be fast. But this is the moment when the devil invented fast food. Because he says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. You can do this right now. And Jesus holds back. See, some scholars believe that this is a temptation that is aimed at the lust of the flesh. That is aimed at the, the gaps that we have, the needs that we have in our bodies. Because Satan tempts us in very similar ways. We may not have the power to turn stones into bread, but we do have the power to turn temptations into opportunities. And those opportunities can lead us to sin, to dishonor God. In fact, some of those opportunities can even lead us uh, to uh, addictions and to losing control of everything that we have and everything that God wants for us. Every time that we engage in a physical activity that puts us away from God's plan for our lives. Maybe it's a sexual addiction. Maybe there's alcoholism. Maybe there's an addiction to, to pornography. Maybe uh, there's uh, an, an addiction uh, to compulsive shopping, whatever it is. And by the way, it doesn't have to be an illegal addiction. There are many addictions in our society that are legal. In fact, there are many addictions that are encouraged by your peers and people in your life. But listen to how the Bible talks about this same phenomenon. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 it says, like a city whose walls are broken through, it's a person who lacks what? Self-control. When we lose that self-control, our walls come tumbling down. And we leave space for the devil to enter into our lives and to let that sin grow. In fact, when we, when we do this, oftentimes, here's something that's happening in our culture, because we have fast access uh, to um, things that allow us to lose control, is we begin to self-medicate. And self-medicating is when we fill gaps in our lives uh, with addictive behaviors, with binge-watching on Netflix, with um, uh, scrolling uh, on our phones, and um, even responding to people on social media with anger and meanness because they're not in front of us. And some of us uh, even self-medicate uh, by wanting to be right in front of other people, even if it hurts their feelings. 
Or maybe we self-medicate uh, uh, with uh, many other behaviors that are not good for our lives. And, and here's what's happening. Uh, when we self-medicate for the gaps in our lives, we're basically saying uh, there's no way that God can fill that gap. And, and whenever we let sin dwell in that gap, something happens. Something that can lead us to destruction. Some, something multiplies in our lives that leads us farther and farther away from God. In the 80s and 90s, in uh, my parents' home country of Colombia, there was a man who became a very famous drug lord. His name is Pablo Escobar. Some of you have uh, heard his name or have seen documentaries about him. This man was so rich. He, he became so rich of, of dealing drugs all over the world that at some point he offered the government of that nation to pay its full debt. He was trying to buy his way to the presidency. And in the midst of this, he had properties all over uh, the globe. And, he, and of course, he had properties and a home in the nation of Colombia. And deep in the southern jungles uh, of this country, he had a huge farm. And this farm was so big and he had so much money, he decided to, uh, to create a zoo for his two children. And so he, they had animals flown in from all parts of the globe. The, uh, there were uh, elephants, and there were lions, and there were alligators. And when he was um, uh, captured and killed uh, a few years later, they seized all those assets, and they went into the zoo, and they took all these animals and sent them all over the globe. Some of these animals had to die. But there was one type of animal that didn't seem like it was going to cause too much trouble. Uh, there was a potential there, but uh, there weren't really that many of them that they decided to ke keep these hippos, these in the jungles of Colombia. Now, after a, a few years, stories began to arise of huge animals going into villages and eating crops and fields and attacking humans. If you don't know, uh, hippos, as cute as they look, are some of the most dangerous animals in the world. And their natural habitat is not in South America. They have no natural predators there. Uh, they, they, they have a summer all year long. They have unending supply of fruit. And then, of course, with the villages and the uh, crops around them, they could eat and eat and eat. And so these animals multiplied exponentially. And after 30 years, they now have a problem in their hands. In fact, they've had to put signs uh, all over these random places in the middle of the jungle telling people that there are hippos there. And it's not that there is one or two. It's that there are dozens, if not hundreds by now, that they cannot get rid of. The same thing happens when we leave sin unchecked and hidden in the deep jungles of our soul. That uh, sin multiplies. That sin is in an environment in our lives that when left unchecked, it has everything at its disposal and it grows exponentially until we cannot hold it back. See, self-control is an issue of life or death. And in the same way as with these animals, we have to make sure that we're keeping track of, of them and even eliminating them. So what did Jesus do? That's a question that we have to pose this morning. In, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, this is what Jesus did. He, he counteracted. He had a countermeasure. He, he went on the offensive and he said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Did you uh, notice how he, Jesus is answering the devil here, not with sarcasm, not, not with logic, but with the word of God? In essence, here's the countermeasure is that he's saying, I'm going to trust in God's word and provision for my life. I'm going to trust that God's provision is greater. It may be later, but it doesn't mean that it's smaller. It means that it's going to be greater. And the longer I wait, the greater I know it's going to be. He's going to provide for my needs. Even though I'm the son of God, I still have to wait. But in the waiting, there's blessing and this blessing is going to come by trusting in what he has said amen Amen. and so it may be that by waiting for that one thing that is tempting you in your mind right now you may be struggling with an idea or a concept or a person that you want to get closer to And there's a waiting involved. It may be that by you bypassing this waiting, you may be ignoring what God wants for your life. And he's going to let you. (laughs) Because God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon anyone. And we need to understand what the word of God says. We need to trust that he doesn't say how he will provide to every single one of us. But he does say he will provide. He gives examples in his word about how other people received provision from the Lord. And even though we don't have the exact same plan that we want to give him for our lives, we have to trust as believers that his plans are greater than our plans. Amen? So we keep reading in um, verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 4. It says that the devil took him then to the holy city. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, everybody say, if you are. are. He said, throw yourself down. Next slide. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Satan is tempting Jesus By saying, whatever identity you have, I need to see it. Give me some proof. And if you can give me this proof that I want, then your identity is exactly what you say it is. And so Jesus at this point has the potential of losing control over identity and pride. See, in the same way Satan attacks our pride. And he puts these minds under our feet. And as we journey through life, we may step on them. And when they go off, we are given a perception of a greater identity. And we begin to chase that in each one of us. In fact, this world is filled with uh, examples of this. There are many of us who follow on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok. These influencers that give us phrases about ourselves. And how we, our self, can grow greater if we do all these steps. In fact, there are people who test that. If you say you are who you say you are, then do these things in your life. But this is not the example that Jesus gives us. Now, whenever we are tempted with this, it can also lead to destruction if we turn that temptation into opportunity. And we see it all over the world. In fact, there was a man called Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda from Puerto Rico. In the uh, 80s and 90s, um, he thought he had a vision. And in the vision, um, something showed up to him saying that he himself was Jesus resurrected. 
And so for uh, decades, he began to build this church. And um, at last count, um, people think that there were millions, over a million people, actually, that were following him. And they would worship him. And so it would be the equivalent of being at one of our campuses. But this dude was just right there. And we would be singing to this dude. Um, and so he built this, became rich. And at some point, he was chased out of his city. He was sued many different times. And he hid in the state of Texas for the last few months of his life. He got cancer. And he went on YouTube and did a live broadcast. It was easy to tell on the broadcast that he had lost a lot of weight because of his illness. And he still had the pride to say, you may see that I have lost a lot of weight. I had done that to myself so I can be healthier, so I can be God. And y'all, he died just a few weeks later. And you know who's still in his tomb? <laughs> that man. You know who's not in his tomb? Jesus. Let me hear that. It's Jesus who is not in his tomb. Jesus didn't succumb to the temptation of pride and identity. And you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be worshipped. I don't even like to be in front of people. But we deal with this even in the church. How many opportunities have we had, those of us who have been believers for a while, we may have had opportunities to attack one of our leaders because there is pride and there is discontent in our hearts or in somebody else's heart. And whenever we're attacking them, we're basically saying who you say you are is not really it, but who you are saying I am is really it because I do have uh, this idea that can be better than what you are doing now. And when we're doing this, we're losing control over our pride. It doesn't mean that there's no accountability in the family of God, but it does mean that we have to make sure what our role is in the process of accountability. We have to make sure that we are delivering truth in grace and helping rather than letting our pride fester. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love this quote. Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. It is not our place to be proud over something that is not what God wants us to be proud of. It is not our place to use any of these elements in our lives to attack or to go toward uh, people and to deliver something that would benefit us more than benefit others. We also face this temptation. We also have the, the temptation of pride and identity in life. So what did Jesus do? In verse uh, 7 of Matthew 4, it says that Jesus uh, answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test God. Here's the countermeasure that Jesus used. Follow his will and purpose for your life. When we are testing God, when we go, God, if you really want me to be or me to have, then do this for me. In fact, this is how we pray our prayers. We give him a list of all the things that he has to do in order to prove himself to us, even though he is creator. And uh, when we do that, we're basically saying, we don't, I don't fully trust uh, your plans and your purpose and your will for my life. You may have a purpose, but I still haven't seen it. And so I don't approve of it until you show me how we're supposed to do this. In fact, what we need to understand here is that Jesus is showing us a God dependency that is greater than our self-sufficiency. 
This is uh, what the world wants us to learn right now. This is what many cultures around the world is te are teaching us, is that self-sufficiency is actually what makes us better or greater. We can become influencers. We can become famous if only we have a phone and we start talking. But instead, we have to move from this sense of self-sufficiency to God-dependency. And some of you may be thinking, well, why should I depend when I want to be independent? I uh, met with a friend uh, who is a recovering alcoholic, and we were talking about this, and he mentioned that uh, in uh, the AA meetings, they have had conversations about what really this sense of dependency is, uh, and the fact that when we depend on something greater, this is what they teach, we actually get a greater sense of freedom when we are dependent. This is counterintuitive. And so give me the example of electricity. Right now, we are all so dependent on electricity that if the lights were to go down right now, many of us would be, would be shrieking because we're dependent on this. But once we have it, it gives us freedom to do so many things. In the same way, we have to understand that without God, we are helpless. Without, without him... <laughs> We may think we're independent. We're actually dependent on to something else. Uh, it reminds me of Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 6, where it says that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. It's basically saying uh, Jesus died for us because we thought we were independent, but we we're actually dependent on sin. And because we had lost control because we were dependent on sin, we can now be dependent on God who gives us grace and forgiveness and redemption and salvation and a brand new life. And all of this is motivated by something great. In fact, Jesus not only showed self-control in this uh, moment in his life in Matthew 4, but he also showed self-control on the cross because he had the power to come from the cross. You know why he didn't do it? You know why he lets us be dependent on him? Because his motivation is love. And we will not grow in ourselves, in our sense of who has control of our lives until we understand that Christ-driven self-control is motivated by love. Whatever you love is the fuel to this fruit of self-control or losing control of your life. And Jesus, the Bible says he loves us so much that he gave his life for us by showing self-control on the cross, dying for our sins and coming back on the third day. I am reminded of... Um, I am reminded of people who have lost their sense of self-control because of the fact that this world is offering something greater. I'm reminded, for example, of Bernie Madoff. Some of you know the name. He was, a, uh, he was an investor in Wall Street, and he had built in secret this uh, huge empire that eventually fell over because it was all built on lies. But he had lost control of himself at some point uh, throughout his professional life. He didn't necessarily want to do this, but it was just in the last few decades that he actually began to build his business uh, because he wanted to be Bernie Madoff. Because he wanted a brand to stand. And I still remember when uh, his empire came down. I lived in South Florida at the time, and I remember yachts that had no owner. And condos that were empty. And people who killed themselves by suicide. Because all their savings were lost to this man who had lost his pride. Who had built his pride because he had lost his sense 
of who he was. So how many times have we offered that? In fact, uh, we uh, read in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, that as Jesus continues, he gives us even more ways for us to avoid what happened to that man. So let's continue to read. It says that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. At this point, uh, they go on top of a mountain, and then Jesus is saying, if you worship me, if you give me your love, that same love that, that you're, you think you're going to show on the cross, you can give it to me, and I can give you all of this. In uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, where we used to live before moving to Indianapolis, we were there for six years. There's a mountain that is 15 minutes from the city. It's called Pinnacle Mountain, and I loved hiking that mountain because I would get on top of that mountain, and I could see the deep river valley, I could see the beginning of the Ozarks, I could see the city of Little Rock and the suburbs, I could see trains and I could see cars, I could see from everywhere. But not once at the top of this mountain did somebody say to me, if you worship me, I can give you everything. Because it would have been a lie. And in the same way, Satan is lying to Jesus and he's saying, you can have all of this if only you lose control because you want more you want a greater position, you can worship me. How many times have we been offered a fast road to a promotion? How many times do we think about finding loopholes in the law or in our taxes? In fact, how many times do we want to allow ourselves to lose control so that we can retain that position? Some of us are very proud about the fact that we are, that we are excellent drivers even when we are speeding. And those of us who have that sense of pride do not have a Trader's Point sticker on our cars. <laughs> I'm talking to some of y'all right now. Because we know that whenever we lose control and we say, I can go 10 or 15 over, <laughs> there's a risk. And we think we can surpass that risk when in reality... Is it really what honors God? Here's a countermeasure that Jesus shows in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. It says that uh, Jesus responded, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, he is saying, I, get away from me because I know what the word says. I know that I need to uh, worship him alone and see his power at work. That is the countermeasure that he used. Is he saying that God is going to be the object of my worship. Even though I am him, I'm, I'm going to worship him because I'm one of the persons of the Trinity. Because I want to see his power at work. Because I know that there's a plan. Because I know that I need to wait for what he wants to say. Part of the reason why we, are, uh, why we fall for this type of, uh, of temptation uh, is because we want to be greater. We want people to think that we are greater than we actually are. And so we uh, fall for temptations that uh, uh, presumably give us a sense of position that is different than what we have. Because we want to go in that direction faster uh, than ever. In fact... Uh, for some of us, it's, it's so uh, prevalent in our lives that we have something called a Messiah complex. Meaning that wherever we go, whatever space we enter, we think that we can be the savior of that. This church doesn't look like a great church, but I can save it. This company doesn't look like a great company, but I can save it. This person, I know they're a little, I know there's something going with them. They're, they're broken and there's something going on inside of them, but I can fix them because I have a Messiah complex. 
First, here's what we need to know, and especially in the economy of God and in the kingdom of God, there's no way that we can go for the position of Savior. Here's how I want us to remember this, is that the only positions open in the kingdom are the positions of servants. Because the position of Savior is already taken. And if the word servant makes you uncomfortable, understand that we're all servants to something. We may be servants to our senses. We may be hedonists in the ways that we live our lives. We may be servants to our sin because we may relish in the way that we dishonor God or we may relish in ways that are not part of his plan for our lives. We may put self at the center of our lives and that throne. So we are servants to what we think we are or should be. Or we can decide to be servants to our Savior. And so we can counteract this temptation. We can say, I'm not going to lose control over this because Jesus is in control. Because by me having power over myself, what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit lives in me. He is bearing this fruit. This fruit allows me to give up my sense of self-control so that he can have control. And here's what's beautiful about the story is that even after all this, there's a moment of respite in Matthew 4, 11. It says that after the devil left him, the angels came and attended Jesus. God gave Jesus what he needed at that moment. And in the same way, there's no battle that we face that doesn't have a fulfillment of our needs at one point or another. Whether on this earth or in eternity, God responds. God sends help. This is why we have to understand that self-control really does take place when we exchange our personal priorities for the provision, the purpose, and the power of God. A few weeks ago, I witnessed something amazing. At our Midtown campus, we were having a, an event, and I was talking to this man who was very open about the fact that he himself is in recovery. And when we were talking, he opened up about the fact that he, the reason he is in church, the reason he pursues Jesus, is because he had lost control of his life due to alcoholism and other addictions. And then he found God in that valley. And he used the term over and over again, in recovery. Alex, I am in recovery. But he wouldn't say it with any kind of shame. He would just say it with this, with this joy that because he knows he's in recovery, he knows he has to be dependent on Jesus. And we're having this conversation, and another woman comes in. She hears what we're talking about, and she says, did you go to AA? And he says, yes, I've been a part of Alcoholic Anonymous many times over the last few decades. She says, I am in recovery too. And now these were two different people with different, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Grew up in different parts of the city, different professions altogether. Probably different tastes in music and perhaps even in food or in relationships. But they were coming together with the fact that they both 
know how utterly helpless they are without Jesus. And they both share the story at that moment of how they had lost control of their lives, but they were in recovery. And I want us to recall that same term that we threw at the beginning of this message. Because in some way or another, we are all in a process of recovery. When we say yes to Jesus, we enter into a process of growth and development so that other people can know who he is, so that other people can know what we are, what, who we are worshiping and who we are following. And we are professionals in churches today at not admitting our sins, not admitting our gaps, not admitting where we are weak. But for some reason in this program that was created with Christian principles, people are taught that regardless of where they meet, regardless of the environment or the space where those meetings take place, regardless of how deep they were in their sin or how much control they actually lost, they must begin and forever carry the term and understand that they are in recovery. And isn't that a picture of the church? The church in our society today is treated like an assembly line when in reality we are a hospital and we are all in recovery. So regardless of what your past is, regardless of your background, I want you to know that if you are in recovery, if you have been tempted by Jesus to lose control or if in fact you have lost control of your life in such a way that has dishonored God, maybe some of you have lost everything, some of you may not be there, you may be thinking, well, it doesn't apply to me because I don't have an I'm not an alcoholic, I don't have a drug addiction or a substance addiction of any kind. But remember that Satan tempts us. In the same ways that he tempted Jesus, and he may say, turn this temptation into opportunity. And if that's been you, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he knows that you're in recovery, that he knows that you need forgiveness and redemption and a new life, and you can joyfully depend on him because he died for you and your sins. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for covering us one more time. Thank you for your grace and your provision, your plans and your purpose. It's so hard to wait. It's so hard to say, to say no to things that would give us instant gratification. But Jesus, we want to say yes to you so badly. So please give us at this moment the opportunity and the strength to say yes to your plans over our lives so that you can have the glory and not us as we are all in joyful recovery and dependent on you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.